Hello and welcome to Enneagram and Coffee, the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Jane Case, and I am so happy to have coffee with you today. Hello. So our household is still staying at home. So you might hear some neighborhood sounds, my husband doing things around the house. My microphone is a little bit different. I appreciate you staying with me while our sound quality is just a little bit different right now. In today's episode, I'm going to walk you through the subtypes. We'll cover what subtypes are in the system, as well as different schools of thought regarding the subtypes and just kind of how those can show up differently. But first, today's episode is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare offers thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people on topics including gardening, video editing, Facebook ads, and so much more. Members get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes with hands-on projects and feedback from a community of millions. Each course even has their own community comment section, which lets you connect to more people who share your interests and are learning the things you're learning. This is the kind of app where I choose to have my notifications on. It's so helpful to be reminded to expand my thinking, stay connected to learning. I am personally so inspired when I can intentionally educate myself on new ideas, new things, new ways to express my creativity. Particularly right now, I am starting a YouTube channel, spoiler alert. There's more on that in the Patreon podcast, but I took the workshop YouTube success, build an authentic channel that's worth the follow with Sorel Amore. I believe I'm saying her name correctly. And it was exactly what I was hoping for. She walked through building your credibility, posting schedules, finding your niche, and even what equipment to get. In her comment section, she encourages you to share your channel so that you can already have a few people rooting for you when you start, which is just so nice and so supportive, and I loved that. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. But you, my lovely podcast listeners, can start with two free months of premium membership and explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash coffee. Now let's dive into subtypes. First of all, let's just talk about what subtypes are. We have three distinct instinctual variants. So you might hear subtypes and instinctual variants kind of used interchangeably. They are one and the same. But there are three major ways in which we survive as humans. One of those is through procreation or one-to-one connection or sexual connections. One is through having a social network and one is through self-preservation. And these each show up a little bit differently. So our one-to-one subtype, they're focused on that intense one-to-one connection, intense icon, intense experiences, wanting that partner that they're going to live with forever and share their life with. We have the social subtype, which is focused on their connections, their network. They're focused on where they are and their social standing. And then we have self-pres, which is focused on their own needs, kind of meeting their own needs, staying safe, staying secure, experiencing kind of earthly pleasures. So they tend to be more cozy, want to stay at home, that kind of thing. So we all have all three of those subtypes in us. So we all need all three, right? We need all three of those instincts to survive. But typically we have one that is dominant, one that is secondary, and one that is often repressed. 
And this is what you would refer to as your stacking. So if you hear someone ask you about your stacking, what they mean is they want to know what your dominant subtype is, what your secondary is, and then which one you're using kind of the least. For me, I'll say I'm a social subtype with a self-pres secondary, and then my one-to-one is my lowest. So how does this impact your type, I think is the next question. So when we are looking at what our dominant subtype is, what it's going to do is it's going to add a distinction to our dominant Enneagram type. So a social seven can look so distinctly different than a self-pres seven or a sexual seven because they're going to have completely different motivators for survival. So I think of this more so in terms of where we're pointing our focus of attention. So the Enneagram is our worldview, right? It's the lens in which we view the world. So as a seven, I'll speak for myself, I view the world through a lens of potential limitations, of feeling, you know, being satisfied. I don't I don't like to say feeling happy. I like to say feeling satisfied. I want to have, you know, I want to live my life to the fullest. Like that is my lens. So I'm looking through the world in terms of is this limiting or is this expanding? And then my subtype though is adding that flavor of where I'm pointing that attention to. So let's say if I'm a self-pres subtype of seven, I'm going to put that focus of attention toward getting my needs met. You know, I might build on my resources. I might create like a happy, cozy home environment because I'm going to want to take care of myself. If I'm focusing in a social direction, I'm going to point that focus of attention on making sure that I can stay satisfied within my social network. And so sometimes what that means is not going after what I want, what I need, making the choice to, to be satisfied in this moment because I recognize that that could harm my connection socially and I would prioritize the survival over my first impulse. As a sexual one-to-one, you might be focused on kind of the ethereal connection, the magic that you can create as a seven. So I say all of that to say there are three distinct ways in which you can show up as your Enneagram type based off of your subtype and where you're focusing your attention. One of the main things to keep in mind is that for each type, one of those subtypes is what we call a counter type. So what that means is that the counter type is going to show up differently in behavior than maybe the typical description of the type would suggest. What this means, and my language for this, is essentially your first instinct, your worldview, is in contradiction to what you believe you need to do to survive. So therefore, you're kind of in continual conflict. Your instinct and your personality are conflicting. So I will say as a seven and as a social seven, I'm a counter type. My impulse is to put my needs first because I want to be satisfied at all times. That's what my dominant type wants me to do. But then my subtype doesn't want to lose connection with people around me and therefore will often over-sacrifice in an attempt to maintain my social connections. I'm going to dive deeper into this by every single type in future episodes, so don't get too worried. It'll all start to make more sense as we go. But that's the essentials of what the subtypes are. You have three distinct subtypes. We all have all three. One's dominant, one's secondary, one's repressed. 
They're essentially a flavoring of your type. They change your type and the way that it shows up. One of each of those types is a countertype. I get the question a lot, how are subtypes different from wings? So just in the system itself, the major difference is that wings are based off of the numbers on either side of your type. So if you see the Enneagram in a circle, you see your number, you're going to see two numbers on either side. The numbers on either side of you are your wings, and those are going to impact your type in the way that it shows up. But the big difference here is that I believe that those change more frequently. So as a seven, I can have a wing of eight or a wing of six. And I truly believe that I pull from either of those at any given time of the day. And I lean into my six wing for a season. I'll lean into my eight wing for a season. And it fluctuates much more frequently. Whereas subtypes, I believe, impact you so deeply that you need major life shifts for that to change. Maybe a trauma, a big experience, a season of grief, things like that, that really will alter what you think you need to do to survive. Maybe you have children even, just things like that can really shift the way that you show up. And I believe that those are the things that change your subtypes, whereas your wings, I believe, can change day to day back and forth. So all of that to say, most of us have a wing that we lean into more often. So that's why I I still will say I'm a seven wing eight because I do lean more into that eight wing than I do to the six wing, but that six wing shows up for me a little bit every day. My subtypes, my social subtype is part of my personality. It's part of my Enneagram work is learning to unwrite the stories that I've told to myself about what I need to be to survive. And so it really is part of the process of undoing. Whereas my wings, I feel like a little bit like the work is to balance them out, but it doesn't define me as much as my subtype does, in my opinion. Again, there are so many different schools of thought on most things in the Enneagram. And what I hope to always do is to present a balanced view. Sometimes I have my own opinions and I'll toss those in here, there, here and there. But at the end of the day, your Enneagram work is yours. And so if I can present to you a varied opinions and kind of give you options, I want you to choose for yourself what resonates and what doesn't because this is your journey. It's not mine. Speaking of schools of thought, I'm going to break down in future episodes every single Enneagram type and the three subtypes and how they show up and what a repressed subtype can look like, what the dominant type can look like, all of that. With that being said, I'm going to base most of this off of the work of Beatrice Chestnut. She wrote the complete Enneagram with very detailed descriptions of each subtype, and she comes from the school of thought, which a lot of Enneagram teachers do, that there are actually 27 unique types, that the subtypes flavor your Enneagram type so distinctly that it actually is essentially another type. So the the belief that there are 27 types, not just nine. And so every single type is described in such intricate detail that when I found my subtype, in her work, I felt more understood. So when I found out I was a social seven, I knew myself better than when I found out I was a seven. So all of that to say, I'm going to base a lot of this off of Beatrice Chestnut's work. She knows that. I've given her the heads up. And you should read her book if you are wanting to do this research on your own as well. That being said, when I've taken other training, so when I did my first Enneagram training, we studied the work of Beatrice Chestnut in that training. 
in future trainings, we've discussed the subtypes a little bit differently. So there's the belief that, that there are actually 27 types, which I think a lot of the schools believe, but not every school. There's also this belief that each of the subtypes are kind of their own categories. You can group the self-pres types and see the commonalities there. You can group the social subtypes, no matter what your dominant Enneagram type, and see the commonalities there, that kind of thing. So they're almost their own categories. And through that, you can start to notice that there's this undercurrent of similarity even in your instinctual variants. I find that really fascinating and resonate with that as well. The major difference here between what I believe Beatrice's work is doing and what other people's work is doing is that Beatrice is creating these unique types that are truly distinct from one another. Whereas a lot of times our subtype work is done through pairing the subtype with the type and you get just a little taste of how it can show up, maybe two or three sentences versus a few pages of real deep insight and research and observation. So I don't have any problems again with either of those ways. I just find Beatrice's work to be in depth, complicated and beautiful. So I'm going to go with that. Another school of thought that I think is helpful to present comes from Suzanne Stabile. If you went to the 2020 Enneagram Summit that I hosted, you saw in our interview that she mentioned that she doesn't think you should dive into subtypes so soon, that actually if you can, you need to create a foundation of Enneagram understanding before even going there, I can see a value in that as well. Of course, I can see how you know, really laying the foundation of understanding your type, doing some work with your type before you add in this other layer of complication makes complete sense. So if that feels right for you, listen to that as well. I am personally think the Enneagram without subtypes is kind of giving you half of the story. But I wouldn't say that these schools of thought are actually that much different. You know, maybe the difference is mostly just observations of using the subtype as their own category. So like how are sexual types similar, how are self-pressed types similar, et cetera, versus each subtype is a distinct type within and of itself. But again, like I said, I believe no matter where you are in your Enneagram journey, learning subtypes is so helpful. It's, I think, particularly helpful if you're struggling to type yourself, because when you are on this journey of self-typing, if you're struggling with that. I believe it's likely your subtype that is adding the distinction that makes it a little bit tricky. It took me a really long time to self-type. And the main reason for that is that I am a counter type. So I could see myself in lots of different types, but the motivations were all seven motivations, but I couldn't see it. And everyone who watched me would have thought I was a different type that I knew at least. A lot of people thought I was a two or a one based off of just seeing me, but I knew my inner narrative, my inner driving force were all seven motivations, seven fears, seven worldview. All of that to say, there are lots of different ways to think about it. (laughs) Choose the one that resonates with you. If you're ready to dive into subtypes, I believe you can trust yourself. I don't think anyone should be the authority on how you interact with your growth work. Okay. I also think people are going to ask and want to know, what is your philosophy? So I'm trying to say, here are all these different options. Here are these ideas. Here's my philosophy around subtypes. And sometimes 
in your grimoire in general. Number one, stay curious and open. You do not have to put the stake in the ground right now about what your subtype is or ever. And actually, I think that if you can remain curious and open and listen and available to what you are, how you show up, you're going to do more work for a while. You know, it's going to be helpful for you to explore what part of me is self-pres, what part of me is social, what part of me is one-to-one, and really listen and pay attention and notice. I think that there's so much work that can come from just noticing that remaining curious and open is only a benefit. The second is decide for yourself. Again, I can tell you all day what I think your subtype is, but I have no idea. Because the truth is you're the only one who knows what's driving you, what's motivating you, what your focus of attention is on, what you think you have to be in order to survive. These are things that only you can know. So listen to yourself, pay attention, and trust your understanding of who you are. I think it's a little bit weird that we have to ever declare what our type is. I know that there are times where I feel dominant social, times where I feel dominant self-pres, and the truth is that I think most of my life I've been social, and as I have found my husband and become a stepmom and built out our family and, you know, I'm our primary breadwinner in our household, like all of these things really have impacted me so drastically that the self-pres in me is stronger than ever. So... Can I really put a stake in the ground and say like, no, I am social over self-pres? Sometimes I think that. And then sometimes I think my self-pres is pretty darn strong. And so it's okay to listen and to wait and to just notice and pay attention and to not feel like you have to declare something certain. I think that that can be a little bit weird. I think like I don't have another word for it. I just think it's strange that we expect people to have like this category that they confidently put themselves into and therefore they are only going to work on that area. What I want us to do is to do the work of the Enneagram. And so sometimes putting our declaration in can really help us to commit to what work is ours and what work isn't ours. But it can also create the space where we feel like we have to hyper-focus on certain things and we forget that we're well-rounded, multifaceted, complex individuals. And so what I would say is with subtypes, for me, I can speak for myself and say, as someone who is dominant social with a lot of self-present then, I can do both. I can look at what part of me is doing this, who's over-sacrificing because they want to be liked. Can I work on that? What part of me is under-sacrificing because I want what I want and I want to take care of myself and I don't want to sacrifice? I can be both of those things and I can do the work of both of those things and that's okay. So don't feel like you have to declare it right away. Take your time. Enjoy the process. You may not have to ever declare it to anyone. And finally, I truly believe that doing subtype work can add the depth to your Enneagram work that is completely unparalleled. I truly believe that the complexity that we're looking for in our type, when we don't fully see ourselves in the Enneagram or we feel like, yeah, kind of, we can get into that subtype description, into that subtype work and get into some really, really good stuff. I don't think I could have ever understood myself in the way that I do now without the work of the subtypes, because 
there is that innate contradiction in being a counter type that didn't make sense to me, but makes complete sense now. And I needed that understanding in order to fully commit to my work. So I'm beginning my series on subtypes. We're going to begin with type one, and I will break each type down into their three distinct types. I'm personally a big fan of Beatrice Chestnut's work, like I said. So I'll be pulling from her research to create this series. So if you want a book on subtypes, check hers out. It's the complete Enneagram, and it is so, so good. I cannot wait to dive even deeper into each individual type with you so soon. Also, did you know that I have a Patreon community that helps support the podcast? We have our first live call next month for those that are still determining their Enneagram type and certain tiers are getting daily journaling prompts to support their growth journey. Everyone gets an extra podcast episode every single week with behind the scenes rambles and my latest unfiltered thoughts about Enneagram work. Today, I wanted to take a moment to call out a few patrons as a way to say thank you for the support. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Pamela. And thank you, Kim. Thank you for your support of the podcast and the work we're doing here. It means the absolute world to me. If you want to join us in Patreon, grab your seat through the link in the show notes, patreon.com slash Enneagram and Coffee. And also don't forget about your two free months of premium membership to Skillshare. Go explore your creativity, have fun, explore new things at Skillshare.com slash coffee. And that's also linked in the show notes. And I will see you in the next episode.